Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. We get to chat for a few minutes with Richard Wingfield, who's our wingman and all things <laughs> related. <laughs> so. Yeah, perfect. By the way, your editing skills are, are quite good. I've They're enjoyed, getting better. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to um, do my part in introducing Richard. We have been friends for a long time. Um, yeah. Since Diane Wimberly was on staff at St. Paul's, and I've known Richard since then, and uh, found out that he was a Apple consultant, and asked him if he would be willing to help me out because I was also an Apple user, and we've had that relationship for years now. I guess that's what Richard twenty years, nearly, maybe longer. You know, you're just giving me the opportunity to tell my standard joke that I've known Bill since back in the days when I had hair on top of my head <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, so that's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other marker, Bill, is when you and I first got together and, and met each other and I started coming to your class again, when Diane was there, the, uh, Sunday sessions, your teachings were recorded on cassette tape. Right. So if that that's how long ago it was, and 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 uh, Richard came up to me one Sunday after class and said, "I would like to ask you to stop using transparency overheads." And I, I did. I I had an overhead projector. Uh, that somebody donated to the class and a little remote control that turned the lights on and off and I swapped these printed them out and uh, they were terrible and I asked Richard well what will I do instead and he said you use Keynote your Mac user and I said I don't know how to do that and he said I will teach you and the rest is history (laughs) without bragging I would I would tell you I think I'm pretty good at it now Yes, you have, you've actually, yeah. You got the like, <laughs> the words chase in and the words chase out and they That's spin. Right. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with keto. <laughs> well, then he had to get a scanner to make sure right. all the cartoons could get included right. in the keynote. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that's so funny because I wonder, Richard, if I've known you about the same amount of time because we met because of Ordinary Life. And I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I went to back when Diane Wimberly was still on staff to Bolivia together that summer and got Giardia or something like that together that summer. (laughs) You and I were (laughs) such a pitiful case. (laughs) But we became like great friends. And well, you can't go through that without. (laughs) You can't vomit in the toilets (laughs) every five minutes without getting to know one another quite well. Though we were the only two people on that trip to come down with near death. And, yeah, yeah. And we're here to tell the story. <laughs> that's right. No, that's not today's. I don't want to relive that. But I would go to Bolivia any day to be taken care of. They were oh, yeah, so, yeah. like, I was attended to by, like, this woman who came to me with coca tea and said, you know, chew on these coca leaves. That makes you feel better. I, I would go be sick in Bolivia. If I get COVID, I'm going to Bolivia. <laughs> right. Where did you all stay in Bolivia? At the mission house and at the sister church in Cochabamba. Okay. Where Diane was. Yeah. 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 Isn't it, what was it called? Do you remember? When we were, it was, we stayed at the American <sighs> school, which is like a compound. Yeah, it has a church and a school and a youth building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we stayed, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a little yeah. dorm. But you got the married yeah. room. Yeah. Um, Richard and I had girl wing, boy wing, or man wing, woman wing. Yeah. Uh, didn't they tell you yeah. not to drink the water? I mean, I think it was the fish, honestly. It was the fish we ate that one day. <laughs> yeah, we were at the same place with everybody else doing all the yeah. same things and there was even, I remember there was, cause we first thought 
well, it's just what we ate, but somebody else ate the same, had the same meal we did. Yeah. And so I think we just uh, drew the short straw and got the lesson <laughs> yeah. of, well, you came down here to help and you're going to get helped. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's right. We're going to show you how kind we are. And that was, right. <laughs> I think when Bill and I had our recent conversation with Natalie, I feel like Bolivianos are so good at interbeing at this sort of community capacity to um, show each other goodwill and help each other out. Just really seeing the community as a whole rather than the single person's importance in it. And I do remember, you know, they made like a level out of like a clear pipe and it's one guy at one end of the clear hose and the other guy at the other end of the clear hose. And they're like, oh, we don't have a crowbar, but here, let us bend this piece of iron and you can use this instead. And, you know, they just oh, they yeah. just really um, taught me a lot about what's necessary yeah. in life. So I, I, yeah. I also want to say <laughs> that over the years, Richard has consistently, when we were gathering on Sunday, been there to get set up to make sure things worked, to make sure the class got recorded and um, that's been so wonderful because my technical aptitude has just declined as time has passed. And I really, uh, the now we have really a fairly substantial group of people I call the podium team. We're not, they, they're not meeting with us, but the folks who do meet um, make, the, make the class work. And Richard has been at the helm of that. And even when he could not be there, uh, John or Tim could text him and Richard would say, oh, do this and then do this and then do this and <laughs> things would magically work. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've done tech support from campsites on my yeah. phone. With the, no, hit the hit this button and reboot and this worked. thing. And <laughs> so instead of you talking, we're just going to tell you what we love about you during this time. <laughs> no, that is not <laughs> what I signed up for. You can't see me blushing in audio, but, <laughs> but we see your face. Um, but but there's one more thing. Number one, we always remember that we we sat and like held hands across the table on 9-11 together, that that was like, whoa, crap, what just happened? And yep. having a yep. friend that you didn't have to sort of explain yourself to in that moment was, because again, when you barf together, you can go through a lot together. Yes, yes. Find a close friend to to process 9-11 with is maybe more significant than whether I had hair or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to, to just point it back to like our, our relationship with Bill and ordinary life is that I think so much of how we were able to process that moment came from learning with Bill and being able to not be reactive, but just sit in the grief and the confusion and, um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I really. I. Mm. I feel like probably the luckiest. If you count adulthood from eighteen on, most of my adulthood has been spent on Sundays being in ordinary life. There was a stint when I was in Boston that I was so grateful for. <laughs> right, <process>. right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and when I had babies, I didn't come for a while when I first had babies. But um, but again, I could listen to it. That was when we were in the museum. Well, I would, I would say, Holly, to that as well, that I, I don't want to leave Diane Wimberly out of that because the, the, yes, the Bolivia yeah. experience that, that she really started has become yeah. what was integral in so many people in ordinary life class and now as part of the church. And anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, I, Diane was like a, a mama to us yeah. too. And during that trip to Wimberley, I mean, she is a nurturer to the core. Yeah. And I just, I think the world of her. I guess I'd love to hear like how you are doing these days. What's keeping you well? What's keeping you occupied or awake at night? <laughs> I think I struggle with, I'm surprised at how, uh, much of a struggle the isolation has meant for me uh, or been for me, you know, feeling pretty self-confident and yeah, I can handle whatever. And very grateful that as an IT consultant, we've been really busy and a lot of uh, really everything we do, we can do remotely now. Um, but I've found myself 
the longer this goes on, uh, really missing those human connections. I mean, that's what we just were talking about with what ordinary life has been for so many of us, you know, both not just on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I miss a coffee with friends, you know, simple stuff, right? Um, and then, Holly, you know probably what my answer is going to be about what sustains me through this. And I've told Bill this before, that uh, my daily spiritual <laughs> practice for years has been photography. And I have to read it because I'm not sure I could remember it. But uh, I have a quote from Eckhart Tolle. Mm. But he says, unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievance, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. And for me, you know, Bill's, Bill's been preaching the, we need a daily spiritual practice for years, and I've felt guilty for years as I am in my self-judgment, not good at meditation. <laughs> but at some point I realized that that's what photography does for me. So when I take my camera, for me anyway, it's a way to be present and let go of everything else and just be present, look at the world I'm in, live in that one moment. Um, and it is a daily practice. This will, I'm halfway through the second year of posting uh, an image from my practice every day on Instagram. Yeah. Bill, when you get really savvy with Instagram, um, I've already got you following Richard, <laughs> um, but his photographs are beautiful. I've, I've seen them. They're a gift to us too, I think, to, mm. to, the, to those of us who get to interact. Absolutely. Who knew what, how much this would be needed you know it kind of started with my phone and then a couple of years ago you know migrated to a bigger real camera with an interchangeable lens and all that but uh, one of the th things I did for myself and for friends is last year I printed a calendar of all of those images so it really is you know bringing it back to class having guidance to and permission to find my own version of what a daily spiritual practice could be. <laughs> and I still miss people. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not just living with the camera and yeah. that's good enough, right? So. I think we needed time before this pandemic to establish some pandemic pods mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, groups of people that we could all say, let's follow the same rules so we can hang out. And <laughs> that's right. Or was it Seinfeld? Who had the bubble boy? We just all need bubbles where we can, you know, have the backyard barbecue and our bubbles. <laughs> so I guess, you know, I talked about the spacesuit on Sunday. Maybe this is a use of yeah, the spacesuit. Yeah. The actual literal spacesuit might help us. I think out it'd be here. hard to, you know, grill and, and do the normal backyard things in the spacesuit, but I'm I'm all up for it because that was a childhood dream of mine was to be an astronaut. So why not? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I feel like that's my adult dream is to be an, an astronaut. I didn't realize it until I started this kind of cosmology adventure. <laughs> what about you, Bill? Do you have anything you'd love to hear from Richard? Well, I was just thinking, sitting here, um, listening to the two of you, that I have this big streak of envy for both of you because you're both artists. Mm. Uh, when we were gathering in person, Richard would after tending to technical stuff, had a special place where he sat and he drew mm -hmm. the class on his iPad yeah. and then would share his drawings with some of us. And we've used them as, um, you know, in the announcement slides and other things. They're really beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I appreciate, uh, I'll uh, begrudgingly take that. <laughs> take that compliment uh, but I'm certainly working on it and I and I've I've always again I joke about being a recovering architect but I've always been 
visual and loved having a pencil or pen or something in my hand. So visually taking notes has always been a thing for me. And then at some point taking notes in Bill's class went from text with little drawings and now it just kind of on some days ends up just being a drawing. (laughs) So yeah, if I w- would t- were to quickly flip through my journals over the years, which you and I also have that in common, is yes. long-time journalers, yes. um, you would see as many pictures as words. And I've always wished that if I could, when I opened my mouth to speak, that if pictures could come out instead of words, that I would actually be much more coherent <laughs> and fluid and eloquent because that's how my mind thinks. And sometimes I find myself kind of looking off because I'm seeing a picture and I'm wanting it to come out in words and I'm trying to find the words for that picture. Right. (laughs) Right. So that is, uh, maybe art is a kind of right speech. (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, it's, it's, I think some of this certainly is also not to be the eternal optimist, always looking for the bright side of things, but there's some positive benefit, I think, from this pandemic and what have you of forcing us all to to find some of these different values or different options for life in this isolation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it I, I've certainly been more cognizant of how important the photography is to me. Uh, it's not just... Um, what do they call it? Quantified life where, oh, I got a record going and I can't break the record. I have to take another picture today and post it. In the pandemic, it'd be in the middle of the day and I'm feeling stressed. I'm like, I am taking my camera and taking an hour and a half off and finding a park that's open or a place where I can socially distance and still do that. I mean, I drove just one evening last week, decided I'm going to go take some pictures at the beach. I was like, okay, I'm going to get in the car. Work was done. You know, it's done. I'm just going to drive down there and, you know, do my own thing. And I was expecting to get some isolated, empty beach sunset pictures. And there were a lot more people there than I thought. (laughs) So, but, you know, but that was self-care for me. It is presence for me because when that there's an intent and I'm taking my camera and none of the other monkey mind stuff. So it's kind of meditation yeah. for me because I'm not going to be thinking about work and what to do and all that. I've made an intent and I'm going to take my camera and go take pictures. The world is your visio divina. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, Bill talks about it and certainly Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. I mean, it's a way for me to be present um, and try to let everything else go and just be in the moment. So Totally. Yeah. You're awesome. (laughs) I appreciate it. And I love you both. So I love you too, Richard. I love you, friend. I'm so glad that Ordinary Life brought us together in friendship. This is a, a long friendship and I'm grateful for it. I know. I know. And, and Bill, you've done that for so many people, or, or the space you make for this to happen, you've done for so many people. I'm so grateful, and thank you. You know, if you want lessons drawing, Holly and I will give you lessons. So. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how to post on Instagram. We can also do that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, let's start there. If you want an experience of what it's like to have a really bad student, I'm your guy. anyways thank you you're the best oh thank y'all thank y'all for doing this and um tiny psa richard has a podcast also it's called the black hole the black hole cafe so it's conversations with me and my oldest daughter about whatever has grabbed our attention and we are having a blast doing it there may be only three people listening. We don't know, but it is such fun. So, yeah, thanks for the shameless plug <laughs> for the Black Hole Cafe. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Again, thanks a lot. thank you. Uh, love you both. Y'all have fun. Bye. <laughs>I had I had this thought uh, this morning when I was thinking about the possibility 
uh, seeing how our schedule would work out to do this podcast today. Um, Richard Rohr has said many, 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 many times that the most important word in his, the name for his organization is the word and, mm. the Center for Action and Contemplation. And we have spent a few weeks now talking in Ordinary Life about the importance of um, right mindfulness and right attitude. And we'll end up in talking about the Eightfold Path, um, talking about the, the practices of mental discipline. But right now we're talking about right action. Mm -hmm. And last week was about speech and then about the things that are coming up. And I was thinking this morning, you know, uh, everybody's heard this, everybody knows this. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, no, we don't know it. We, we, if you just read what's happening in the daily paper or the daily, the weekly news magazine that I take, um, th there were more murders last week in one day in Chicago than any time since they've been keeping records. Mm. We are a country that is in such pain and anger and fear, and it's getting played out in a lot of not good action in Chicago. That was in Chicago last week. Which is one of the most historically segregated cities in the country in terms of, um, I, I lived there when I was in college doing an internship. So that was over 20 years ago, but, um, I just remember when I first got there that the neighborhoods were referred to as like, oh, that's the Polish neighborhood. That's the Russian Jewish neighborhood. This is the German Jewish neighborhood. This is the, so, you know, in terms of its tension between small pockets of places, and I can't speak to it other than that small experience, but I think there's also historically, um, a lot of poverty in Chicago. I worked at a school on the west side of Chicago um, that was a small school for the arts. And there were kids who had grown up in Chicago that I worked with who had never, they did not ever make it to Lake Michigan, to the beach. They didn't know there was a beach in their city. You know, so there was a lot of real missed opportunity there at that time and I don't know how it is now but I do know that there are parts of Chicago that still see a lot of daily and weekly violence and and you know I, I know that um, I've used this joke a lot um, I, I had a professor in seminary who said to us um, when we were being sent out to our first appointment now remember there are two things that you cannot talk about in church one is politics and the other is religion. <laughs> mm. Oh, goodness. Right? It's, it, I mean, it, it, you can understand a little bit about the politics yeah. thing. I saw a, a, an image that somebody posted on uh, one of the social media things the other day. I think it was on Twitter of a gathering of a church where every other person in the congregation, and it was packed, was waving an American flag. There's something wrong with that picture. You know, I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to contribute to divisiveness and partisan stuff. But I think we have to call out the, the fact that our current president leadership is deliberately trying to divide this country. I mean, it could not be more blatant. Yeah. than it is right now. And that's wrong. Yeah. That's just as wrong as it can be. The feeling is that that those are the coattails he kind of wants to ride into this election with, that that's that, that the hope is that the more divisiveness that can be created, that that will work in his favor. I really want to believe that we're better than that as a population yeah. that we're, yeah. we are seeing. And I am seeing evidence. Uh, I know in, in St. Paul's, um, if you go onto the St. Paul's website and you click onto the oh big button that says the 40 days of prayer and see what um, uh, Karen has put together as a set of resources for dealing with racism, 
white privilege, white fragility, call it what you will. It's just an amazing piece of work. And our church is not the only one doing this. This is being done uh, conference-wide in the Methodist church here, and the resources are really good. I, I just see this as a moment of, of hope and positivity for us in turning, in, in not turning this around, that would be overly optimistic, but in making a really significant stride forward. And I don't yeah. think we can do it by playing nice. It may be an evolutionary time, kind of a teeny tiny step forward, but it feels like a lot of momentum and big right now, uh, certainly bigger than it has in my lifetime. And, you know, I, I keep calling it sort of apocalyptic, right? There's, it's a time for rolling back mm -hmm. and for reckoning with. And I want to really quickly touch on that. You know, you, you mentioned violence in Chicago and, um, just very quickly want to touch on that. And we'll, and actually I think that um, Brooke Summers-Perry has agreed to be our next podcast host and talking about, yeah, MVC. So we'll get deeper into this with her, but oh, wonderful. you know, violence is related to poverty. Violence is related to unmet needs. Violence within a group is related to historic oppression, right? So that when we have groups of people who are experiencing violence to their bodies or enacting violence to other bodies, it's symptomatic of something deeper. It's symptomatic of, of other unmet needs and, and sort of a, a, spiritual, a spiritual crisis, if you will, right? Um, and actually on the note of Chicago, I would just set in, this relates both to right speech and right action. And we were talking with Richard about art mm -hmm. being a form of both. There's a woman who is a Chicago-based artist, and she's also a healer. Her name is Terry Gardner. And I don't know if you recall in watching the Central Park Five that in 1989, Donald Trump took an ad out in the New York Times. I do know that. Calling for the arrest and the death of the five young men who were accused of raping a woman who they did not rape. To, to whom they were not near, yet they were found guilty and put in prison, every single one of them. And Donald Trump put out a full page New York Times ad to call for their- um, Execution. Their, yeah. And this woman, Terry Gardner on Juneteenth, so Juneteenth historically is the official last day of enslavement, that the message finally made it to our dear old state of Texas, and the, the last of the enslaved found out that they were free based on the Emancipation Proclamation in 1867, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So that's a brief history of Juneteenth. But on Juneteenth, Terry Gardner took out a full-page ad in the New York Times. She did it in the exact format, the exact font, the exact visual appeal as Donald Trump's 1989 ad saying, and I'm reading the headline, COVID-19 is killing black people. President Trump, help us. And then she goes on to write a letter about why is COVID affecting um, the black community more? And she talks about the illness of racism and how racism impacts bodily health. And then so when illness does come along, one is more at risk for getting illness because their body is already a little bit suppressed. And then of course we have the equation of Historically, poverty exists in many black and brown communities. There's lack of health care. There's lack of good food. There's lack of resources to be able to build up the system. And then there's lack of care when one does get sick because it's not readily available. So I just thought the optics of that were brilliant. And it's an example of right speech, of using her gift with art to also make a statement and a direct appeal in the exact same format as was used against black and brown folks in 1989. I, I didn't see that. We take the New York Times yeah. and that's probably already been put into the recycle, but I bet I can go online and see yeah. it. I would love to do that. See, I, I think um, <clears throat> that we have a choice as to whether we are going, and I'm using Joanna Macy's template here, whether we're going to participate in the story of 
business as usual or the business of collapse or the business of the great turning. And from the religious side, Phyllis Trickle, who uh, died a couple of years ago, wrote about the great turning in, in the field of religion. Several other, um, and these are women, by the way, Barbara Brown Taylor is another woman who has written uh, uh, in, in this arena. We have a choice as to whether we're going to embrace and live out the story of the great turning or not. And it does involve, uh, which is why I had this thought about what Richard Rohr says, it involves both action and contemplation. They have to go uh, together. We have to sustain ourselves with the proper mental spiritual discipline to persevere. We have to know about what human growth and development spiritually means, and we have to do things. We have to engage the world where our gifts empower us to engage the world to continue persisting and making a difference and saying what we see the truth to be. I, I, I have to believe this country is better than the negativity that is making all the news. Um, and I see these, what I call parachurch um, efforts. I just consider this podcast part of it um, to um, make a contribution to things being different in the world. By the way, I also had thinking about how to get into what we want to talk about on Sunday, this thought about where would Buddhists show up on the Enneagram? And so I Googled it, and the people who are experts in the Enneagram say Buddha was a five. I, so I just had in my mind, my first thought was a nine, but then I thought, no, that's too obvious. And then I thought a five, because he had a method. He had a method yeah. for... And a method. And Jesus, Jesus shows up as a nine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Huh. Which is why I think that you see in the the... I call it the Jesus database and, and right. nobody's ever asked me why I use that term. So uh, I'll, I'll take an opportunity sometime to tell you, but in the Jesus database, you don't have this incredible systematic organization of things, but in the, in the Buddha writings, it, boy, everything is systematized and numbered. And, you know, it's these five precepts for lay people that if you're going to get involved in the community, you don't have to be a monk, but if you're going to be involved, you have to agree to these things. Yeah. And they're the things that are in right action, right. contemplation, that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting, too, that if we look at these two teachers, these two wisdom teachers, one is of the head type and one is of the body type, right? And, uh -huh. and so um, I have heard a philosopher say that Buddha showed us the way, the how, and Jesus showed us the embodiment of love and that the hope for the world is that because Jesus was of the world, that the whole world can embody this love, right? Again, evolution is long, evolution is slow, mm -hmm. and it will take mm -hmm. time. I have a book titled The Impossible Will Take a While. <laughs> I just love that title, and it's a, a book of essays, and, and the title alone says so much. The Impossible Will Take a While. Mm. I was thinking also, and as you were talking about Richard Rohr saying the most important word is and, that this is also the link between right speech and right action, right? That this is a right thinking, right mm -hmm. speech and right action. And again, that sort of idea that thoughts become things, we can say anything. We can say, I believe in equity. I believe in full inclusion. But if we don't do it in our lives our words become hollow. So again, we see how each sort of spoke in the wheel of the eightfold path really feeds into the center of the being, the center of wholeness. Yes. And you've said before, you know, we keep sort of alluding to the Enneagram. We could easily do an entire series on the Enneagram led by um, you and other experts, but um, you have done that once before actually. Um, and you've said before that if we could sort of categorize or type our country, it would be 
a six in the fear stance um, and probably a fairly uninformed six. I, I used to resist being a six because I was like, oh, I don't want to be caught in fear and anxiety. And I've had to learn that each type has its light and shadow, right? That when we can embrace the shadow of the self, then we also have more access to the light in terms of what does this, what does this teach me? What does this um, fear and anxiety signal to me that I might be able to learn from? Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, I think that anger that you see popping up in these protests on both sides of the equation mm -hmm. really have their roots in uh, fear the fear that there will never be change yeah. the fear that there will be change mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um when people are in groups i'll start with the negative side people who fear that there will be change when they are in groups they will do things that they would never do if they were acting as individuals I think back um, to some of the brutal things that have been done to people in the LBGTQ community by groups. So you would have a group to protest yeah. full inclusion of all sexual orientations, or you'd have a group of hooligans who would take a Matthew Shepard and beat him to death, that sort of thing. Yeah. But there's another side to that coin. And that other side is that people in groups can stand for great positive energies. I saw a documentary just last night on the women's suffrage movement, which was not that mm. long ago, by the way. And the mm. attitudes that men had about women and still do, I might say, were just appalling. But women mm. organized into groups of persistent powerful, uh, putting their arguments out, won the day. And I have the faith that that can happen again with this, that we can have groups of people who will heroically stand for um, a different kind of society. I mean, we're moving there, whether we want to or not. It will not be more than 20 years before Caucasians will not be the majority in this country. And we need to figure out a way to live with that. We're already not the global majority. You know, the global majority is not white skinned. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting as I was looking up a quote as you were talking, um, you know, Susan B. Anthony, who's touted as the hero of the women's suffrage movement, right? And um, it, it just goes to show how a, how a single person can hold such complexities inside of the, their own selves. Mm -hmm. She um, had the insight and foresight to say that women need to belong and participate in society, but she did not think that about blacks. And it, it's just, it's just so interesting that when we sort of hold someone up on a pedestal and we think of them like a hero and we learn something about them that brings them off the pedestal, which happens almost all the time. But she said, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. You know, so it's hard to not think about like, if only she had had the mentality of holism, right? How much could have been accomplished if, if she had the a holistic view of equity or, or rights in her mind, rather than just sort of the white woman who was a sort of compliment to the white man as being free and equitable. I um, am continuing to read Braiding Sweetgrass, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it is a beautiful and very heartbreaking book about how Native American people were separated from their land. And um, it's because people who came here had this idea that we are the exception we need to mm -hmm. be the top uh mm -hmm. the rules don't apply to us mm -hmm. and it was not done with any sense of maliciousness mm -hmm. 
it was done out of a sense of absolute ignorance. And probably fear. There isn't enough to go around. There isn't enough for me, so I must take from another. You know, that's a scarcity model, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what, what the six can get really caught in thinking is about scarcity. And if we can sort of think about our nation as being a six, then that may have been what was caught at, at that time of development and when, when the European colonists first came. I'm also reading this book that I mentioned to you, and I do not know how I got onto it or who recommended it to me. But it's a, a book called The Knight and the Gardener. It, I was just going to say, we, we came as knights instead of gardeners. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that they're just these two worldviews, yeah. but these are the two yeah. predominant worldviews. Uh, yeah. and, and our country is a, is a knight mentality. You know, we, yeah. I think we have every right to protect and secure uh, our loved ones and to make sure that we're safe and that everybody has a right to um, as somebody when we were visiting in Turkey one time said to me uh, you know we all want the same thing we all want to be able to uh, have a decent job to make a money to supply the food for our family to give our kids a good education to be safe to enjoy our families we all, everybody wants that Everybody has the same, I believe that in everybody's heart, there is a desire, just let's, let's live in peace. Mm -hmm. But the way some people go about that is so counterproductive to that peace. That being said, I think that every country mm -hmm. has a right to defend itself. But we have enough defense and armament in this country to blow the world up 10 times. We don't need all that we have. And if we took some... Mm -hmm significant portion of that money we can solve a lot of our health yeah. and education problems and still have money left over to defend ourselves but we're so caught in this night mentality that we don't see that we can't we can't yeah. get to there it's pollyanna-ish thinking and maybe childish thinking to say i wish we didn't have something to defend ourselves against you know that to me is the ideal not to have the need for defense, but I, you know, this, Rian Eisler wrote the book, The Chalice and the Blade, and mm -hmm. in it, she she writes about the development of the dominator mentality of dominator societies mm -hmm. and how societies seem to have evolved based on what we can tell about archeology span and anthropology from participatory collaborator models to dominator models. And the last of the collaborator models was Crete and then Crete was taken and then suddenly the world begins to expand in this dominator model and the U.S. was found on a dominator model that the, I should say the modern United States in other words since we have thought of ourselves as a country since 1776 is a dominator model mm -hmm. it's not a farmer model we were um, lucky enough to go to Costa Rica several years ago, and Costa Rica is one of the countries that does not have an army. Yep. Um, and the um, majority of, I, I'm going to get this probably wrong, but one of the places we visited, Monte Verde, in Costa Rica was largely founded by the Quakers. Mm -hmm. And they went there because Costa Rica did not have an army. They didn't want taxes going to pay for defense. They built this community on Monte Verde and deliberately did not have well-developed roads to get up there mm -hmm. um, because they wanted to make it difficult to get to. Mm -hmm. And so they could live in peace with <laughs> their right. communities and they lived a very communal life and in, in some other places still do. Yeah. I recommended to you, or I should say probably Josh recommended to you, and then you actually did watch The Black Panther. That's based on the comic book, The Black Panther. Mm -hmm. um, Wakanda is that sort of nation, right? That is um, the, uh, this idea of like Afrofuturism, um, an imagination that explores what if African nations had not been colonized? What if 
Black Africans had the right to develop their own science, technology, and, and, and strength on their own. And that it's not to say that that, that fictional nation didn't have any warfare. They, they had borders that were defended. But on the whole, it explores the idea of what would have happened if people were not colonized, if people had the freedom to establish for themselves their own identities, their own sort of way of participating in society. Um, and you mentioned that the Quakers had made it very hard to get there. Wakanda, the fictional land, made it very hard to get there. There was an invisible barrier around it, you know? Yeah. And I think that also need to protect what is peaceful and good is very strong in us, you know? Why when we, you know, I think about, um, I think my dad is um, this way. He has a strong need to have protected and, and kept his family, meaning my sister, me, my mother, safe and well and taken care of. And once he was firmly established and that his goals were met around being able to, to provide for and take care of us, then it was like he could go, oh, and I can now give stuff away. I can give money away. And he's very generous with that. But I think that primal need to just make sure that that our own are taken care of and safe is so strong in us. And what I think braiding sweetgrass explores so beautifully is can we expand the circle of who we think we need to take care of? Mm -hmm. I think it was Desmond Tutu who said that uh, before the white men came, we had our land and they had the mm -hmm. Bible. And after they came, they had our land and we had mm -hmm. the Bible quite a shift. I will tell you a touching story. I left the house yesterday to go work out. And um, even though the place where I work out on the treadmill, because it's too hot to walk for me in Houston right now, is um, practicing very safe guidelines. You have to make an appointment to go in, and you're only limited to a certain amount of time. But I still like doing that. It makes me feel good. When I came home, there was a little bag hanging on my front door. Um, I think it was a Starbucks bag. And inside, there was a, a length. Uh, step back so mm -hmm. you can see. About, this about a foot and a half, for those of us uh, who can't see. <laughs> braided, uh, braided oh. sweetgrass. That's somebody who heard through uh, Ordinary Life that I was reading. Uh, or maybe they heard it through this podcast. I don't know. They heard that I was reading Braiding Sweetgrass and they said, I thought you might want some of your own. And they had gotten it in North oh, that's Dakota. Beautiful. And that that's beautiful. That's awesome. This, I love the yeah. idea in Braiding Sweetgrass that it is, it, it, that if it's really done authentically, it's not to be bought or sold, but to be given, you know? So because yeah. it's, it, the grass is a gift from the earth. And so what is made from it is also a gift to someone else. And um, right. I, I loved um, in her chapter about allegiance to gratitude, that really got me thinking about um, how gratitude, and you've talked about this before, really is a game changer. And, and that, again, is, explores this connection between right thinking and right action, right speech, right thinking, and right action. And I loved the Haudenosaunee <laughs> tribal nations Thanksgiving address. And I'll just read a little bit of it because it goes on and on for pages. Have you gotten to that part yet about, um, yes. yeah, that it, that they refrain over and over again between everything that they show gratitude for is now our minds are one. It starts with today we have gathered and we see that the cycles of life continue we have been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living things. So now we bring our minds together as one and we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. And everyone says, now our minds are one. And she explores, what would it be like if before meetings and national assemblies and the Senate hearings, et cetera, if we said that instead of the Pledge of Allegiance? right? If we said, if we did a kind of mind meld, so that right speech 
then sort of starts to impact our actions. If we begin to think as one, then we might actually learn to act as one. So um, I, I subscribe to uh, a newsletter uh, from Nadia Bose Weber. Mm -hmm. And um, she is an amazing woman. And she's my she, kind of preacher because she swears a lot. <laughs> she does swear a lot. And she has more tattoos than anybody ought to have. But that's another thing for another time. I want to read to you part of what she sent this week. I won't read it all, but give us this day our daily gratitude. She's a prayer for this Sunday, this past Sunday, that I have been given one more day I give thanks. That the birds still sing each morning and possibly early outside my window, I give thanks. For the sun rising once again in the east, I give thanks. And she goes on down and... Uh, um, that you, are God, are known by many names, I give thanks. That you, O oh God, are present when I feel only your absence, I give thanks. Mm -hmm. That you are God and I am not, I give thanks. And forgive me when I forget that one. Good. The Thanksgiving uh, practice is a very powerful and useful tool to have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's both kind of right thinking right speech and right action because giving thanks is an action right so to extend it from the written page to the person for whom you are thankful or as the author of braiding sweetgrass says to give thanks to the land before it yields its fruit to you mm -hmm. you know i just that's we, we miss that we miss that step because we go and we buy our food and cellophane packages or you know, it, apples by the pound instead of right off the tree. Um, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get more into this. Thank you so much. I love doing this. I, mean, I always yeah. start, I think, wondering, oh my God, what are we going to talk about? And then we come <laughs> up with a lot. And suddenly about. it's been an hour and we could probably go on for another hour, but we'll, I, spare, the, we'll spare the people. <laughs> you know, and this also is a reflection of the kind of thinking that both of us do in preparing for uh, Sunday and uh, just a realization that these very ancient teachings by the Buddha preceded Jesus by 500 years. And um, he wrote all these things down. The Buddhists have list and list and list and list. It makes sense that he's a fine. Yeah. And that he that he wanted to distance himself from suffering. That's such a five thing. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Oh. All right. I love you. Right. And I, I love will, you too. I will see you Sunday. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs>